can't tell you why I'm laughing. Matt, turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew 14, verse 22. We'll get started wrapping up this great chapter this morning. Okay. <clears throat> I went to college in Greenville, South Carolina, and um, I had my junior and senior year, I, had, uh, I lived in an apartment or a condo with three other guys. Um, and the complex of condominiums was full of university students. And so all of, basically all of my friends lived in this apartment com- complex. And, um, and so as a result of living you know, a mile or two off campus, we, we commuted in for our, our commuted you know, into class. It's like a mile away. So we would all drive in in the morning and park in the commuter lot um, and, and, um, and go, to our, go to our classes. So I, I was friends with some pranksters. Um, and so the great, great peril of telling you, um, using this as an illustration, is that one of your children will attempt to do this to you at another point in time later in life. But I'm going to tell it anyway. So, um, so I had a friend named Alan who is now a dentist in Thomasville, Georgia. And uh, in fact, Alan's great dream in college was to have a mobile dentistry that he could set up outside of NASCAR events because he loved NASCAR and people who went to NASCAR had teeth problems. He was going to merge his business with his perfect world. Like that was his dream. I kid you not. Um, so, so Alan drove a, a really, you know, late 80s model Jeep Grand Cherokee. And, um, and this was before the days where keys were remote or, or, you know, or computers. They were manual keys. So my other friend, Fayette, who is now an oral surgeon, ironically, the two dentists were going at each other. Um, F- uh, Fayette had, a, <clears throat> had this wonderful idea where he got a copy of, of, he got a key of Alan's car and had a copy made which you can do really easily, you know, back in the day. Like, it was like, sure, I'll copy that key. I don't know if it's yours. It belongs to you, but sure, we'll copy it. And so um, when Alan would, the, the prank started like this. One day, Alan drove to class, and he parked his car, and he walked across the mall into the class, and he could see from his classroom the parking lot where his car was parked every day for the week for 50 minutes. So you would, you would have class Monday through Friday, which is unusual in college, but that's the way it was. And you had, so you had 1 to 150 every day, whatever. So Alan would parked his car one, one day went to, and walked to class and came back. And what Alan didn't know is that his car had been moved over one space, two spaces. <laughs> and on Wednesday, he went to class and he came back out, and his car was turned backward from the way he had parked it in the parking spot. Okay. And then the next day, it was parked on the other row entirely, you know, like. And then the fifth day, it was in the whole other lot, half a mile down the other way. And, on the, and, and he's telling us, like, he's, what's going on? Like, at first, I thought I was losing my mind. You know, but it's this whole thing. It's like Jim and Dwight all over again. And, he's, so he's, and then the next, and then on Monday, he looks out. And Fayette's driving his car down the street, right? <laughs> Up and down, waving at him through the window in class. It was so great. It was such a great prank. You know, it was the same prank every day, but it was just this different expression of the prank. And it was the cumulative effect of it, right, that slowly revealed the identity and the prank of what was, what's going on. Okay. Which I was reminded of this experience because of our reading through Matthew. Right here we are, like yet another miracle, right? An- another miracle, 
And, um, and Ma- what Matthew is doing is he is slowly peeling back the identity of Jesus. And every step along the way, we learn more and we learn more and we learn more until finally there's this reveal moment, right, where we get it that he really is the, the Messiah. And we're really at a critical phase of the reveal, and it's not just for us if you're reading through Matthew like for the first time and coming to grips with who Jesus is, but also this was happening for Jesus' disciples in this moment. It's a real critical phase. And the story we're going to look at today is a famous story where, 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 Peter and, where Jesus and, and Peter for a hot minute walk on water. And it's a, it's a story that's in um, multiple Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and, and John. And the context is critical and the experience is critical, and, and I want you to, to, to see kind of what's going on there, both contextually from all the other gospel accounts and then from the actual thing itself, where, um, why it's so critical for you, okay? So if you look at Matthew, Mark, and John with this account, you can see in the context of how things are unfolding, this is what's getting ready to happen, is hap- this critical thing that happens to Peter, and to the disciples, happens at a really critical moment in the life and ministry of Jesus, okay, and, and for the disciples too, right? So Matthew, in Matthew, the emphasis is Jesus, is, he's got to get alone to pray. He's, he feels this, he, he has this compulsion to be alone with the Father and to pray. That's the driver for him being in the boat, guys, go, I'll meet you on the side. And he handles the crowd and gets alone to go pray, Okay. In Mark, it's about rest. Sometimes those two things go together. You get mad at yourself for falling asleep while you're praying. Don't. <laughs> Jesus needed to get away to rest. He's exhausted. Political, social, mob problem. Um, the crowd is getting so worked up that they want to force him to be the king, their version of the Jewish Messiah. And Jesus diffuses that bomb that could have gone off because they don't know what they're asking. The disciples don't understand either. They're not ready. Only Jesus knows what's really going on in this moment, right? So he's trying to diffuse that. So you have all these critical things, the need for prayer, the need for rest, the diffusion of this bomb. So Jesus makes this move to isolate himself and his disciples from all of this so all those three things can happen. Does that make sense? And as a result of that step, something really incredible happens. Okay, And it's in our text, verse 22. Look at me. Look with me. John, uh, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, 
command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. I want to show you three things from this text here. The first one is related to our opening illustration of the gradual reveal. is revealing his glory in a new and a different way to his disciples. He's been doing this. Um, for everybody, in a sense, right? Through his healing ministry, through some of his teaching. But now, this is different, right? It's not new to you. But the disciples, and to the person reading Matthew's gospel for the first time, this is newness, right? Because they've seen Jesus control the weather with his voice, but now they see him interacting with nature in a very different and unique and crazy way, right? Walking on water. And, as if this would matter, the water's not calm, you know? <laughs> like, the wind is forming waves over this, this large lake, this body of water, and so whatever is happening, Jesus is walking on it like it's no problem. Okay, so I and I I I have been on a boat where um, I thought I really don't want to be on this boat right now. Um, so Holly, we several back in eighteen nineteen, Holly and I took the kids on a on a transatlantic cruise, and we left in April from Fort Lauderdale, and it was just you know the most perfectly calm sea for seven days that you could have ever asked for. It was the most picturesque, perfect vacation. Ever, okay, for those first seven days. And then we, we landed in the Azores in the mid to north Atlantic, and, uh, which is beautiful, beautiful island, and we had a day there, and we got back. And the captain, and we're sort of going, his captain said, now, folks, I, I do want you to let you know it appears that the weather situation is deteriorating some. So we, we may be in for a rough 48 hours, but I, I'm sure we'll, we'll be fine. And that later turned into, folks, I want to apologize for the thing that you're going to have to get ready to do. And what and, I, and Abby threw up. Uh, we the the staff. We were down the you know, down down at dinner at one point trying to eat. And, um, uh, and by the way, cruises are awesome. I don't I'm not trying to if you're if you're like interpreting this and going I'm never going to cruise. Don't no 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 do a cruise do it okay. So um, but we like the the water was coming up so high on the boat that the staff were kind of freaking out. And that's when you know like you know, I don't really want to be on this boat right now. You know, like, but but we were fine. You know, it was the most privileged, you know, terrifying situation I, I could could have had. <laughs> but you know, that not like you're like we we wake up because of the swells. You know, you're like oh, that's, like you get completely disoriented. And then the next morning, when it all had passed, this, the captain who'd been sailing for thirty years said it was a scale nine on the Beaufort scale, which is like severe storm, but not a hurricane, and it's the worst he had ever seen. Okay. So it's something like that that Jesus is strolling on, okay? 
And it's so new of an experience and so different that to the disciples, it's more likely to them not that Jesus is walking on the water. The one that had calmed the water was not walking on it for sure. More likely, this is a ghost. That's how terrifying of an experience it was, okay? But Jesus' response to them is a clue to Jesus' true nature. Look at verse 27. Immediately, this is why I say Jesus is revealing more about himself than we have seen. He says to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay, That phrase, it is I, in the Greek is ego eimi. I am. Have courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Okay, So Jesus is consciously echoing Yahweh from Exodus 3, revealing his new disciples just when they needed it the most. This is new. This is more. This is almost the, it's the end of the, of the prank cycle, if you will. It's, it's the big reveal. I am. And the first result of this is true faith from Peter. The result of Jesus revealing his glory as the I am to his disciples is, is true faith out of his disciple. First in Peter. Because as soon as the disciples understood that the figure they saw walking on the water was Jesus, Peter asked to come to him, which involved walking on the water. Peter didn't say, I want to walk on the water. He said, I want to come to you because you are who you are. Look at verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. Now, the English interpretation of the first part of verse 28 has the words right, but it doesn't carry the sense of the language right. Okay. So Bible interpretation is a, is, a, is a tricky thing. Sometimes you have to use different English words that aren't the literal English word in order to get the sense of the Greek word or the Hebrew word that's there of what's actually being communicated. And this is one of those moments. So um, if in English is very conditional, if you say it's you, prove it to me by commanding me to come out on the water to you. And Jesus says, well, come. And so you could read that as an English American and think that Peter is throwing a conditional phrase on Jesus. More likely you're a ghost, but the ghost is telling me it's Jesus. If that's what you hear in English, but that's not what's going on in the, in the language. It's not conditional. It makes it sound like that Peter's wondering if it was Jesus, that, and that for Peter to walk on the water... Um, it's required that Jesus verify his identity by meeting Peter's demands. But that's not the case, okay? The better interpretation is, Lord, since it is you, come to me. Command me to come to you on the water. So put it together, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, have courage. I am. Don't be afraid. To which Peter says, Lord, since you are who you are, Command me to come to you. So Peter's not asking Jesus to have him come out on the water to prove to Peter and the disciples that he is the I am. Peter's asking Jesus to have him come out on the water because Peter and the disciples know that he is the I am. 
And because they know that he is, they're not afraid to ask him of something that only he could do to and through them. Okay. And so Jesus says, come, verse 29. And then Peter, understanding something to be true about Jesus and believing those things to be true about Jesus, he acts accordingly. Okay. He believes it is Jesus. He believes coming out of there to be about Jesus, and he knows those facts, and so he acts on them. Verse 29, coming out of the boat, Jesus, excuse me, Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and went toward Jesus, which is the ultimate point. So the act of stepping out of the boat in the middle of the storm in order to walk on water toward Jesus is a beautiful demonstration of true faith. It shows us what the components are and what it looks like when it's expressed. There are facts. There's agreement with those facts. And then there's action according to those facts and our agreement with it. That's faith. That's true faith. Okay. So Peter understands a truth. I am. He agrees with it. Since it is you. And then he acts on it. Walking on water. He believed that the figure he saw on the water was Jesus and that Jesus had the power to call him and hold him up as he walked toward him on water in a storm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is, whatever Jesus asks me to do for his glory. And, and Peter could. He was, y'all, he was walking on water until he wasn't. Faith is believing God to do what only He can do through you for His glory. That's faith. And while Peter's faith was indeed true, it faltered. It was a very true yet very faltering faith. Look at verse 30. When he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? Faltering faith. Folks, when Jesus is underwhelming, life is overwhelming. Okay? When Jesus is underwhelming, life circumstances are overwhelming. When Peter looked around and became aware of this wind and the waves, he became afraid and he started to sink, and his faith faltered. His faith faltered. This isn't a lack of faith, though. His faith didn't fail. His faith faltered. Peter lost his faith in Jesus' ability to have him walk on water, but he still trusted Jesus by, to some degree, as evidenced by the fact that he said, would you at least save me from this mess? Lord, save me. It's little faith, not lost faith. Okay? James Boyce was a preacher in Philadelphia for many, many, many years, and he has this great two sentences that I wanted to share with you. He says, if Peter had no true faith at all, his act of getting out of the boat would have been foolishness or bravado. And when he began to sink, he would have started to fail his arms about, desperately trying to get back in the boat because it would have been his not faith. The fact that he cried out is proof that he really did trust Jesus. On the other hand, his faith was weakened by the waves, just as our faith is often undermined by our difficult circumstances or by our tragedies in life. Which is why I say when Jesus is underwhelming, life and circumstances can be overwhelming. But faith is being overwhelmed in Jesus 
so that our circumstances don't become bigger than our faith or than our God. Charles Spurgeon famously said, Peter was nearer his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. It was when Peter was in trouble that he was driven to Jesus yet again and was closest to him. So he had, it was a faltering faith. But it was still faith. You know, Spurgeon, Spurgeon did not think that what Peter was doing was an act of faith in his sermon. Spurgeon said, you know, given the fact that Peter's name means rock, he should have had a clue about stepping out of the boat. Okay. They're real clever. Okay. But I think Spurgeon is wrong. Okay. Ha ha ha. He's right about everything else. So many, many other things, but not that. Okay. So the faith can falter. But the fact that faith can falter means it can also grow. Okay? If it can decline, it can go up. It's like the market. Don't look at the market. But it's like the market. In that sense. Okay? And that's precisely what we see, not just in Peter, but in the disciples. So they climb back in the boat, verse 33. And something else happens. What did they just witness? They witnessed Jesus. They heard Jesus say something about his identity. And then they witnessed Peter do something by faith that no human being can do. And then they witnessed Jesus save him when he stopped believing in, that, in him. When his faith faltered in that process. And then they climbed back in the boat. Have you ever tried to get back into a boat? Have you ever tried to get back in a canoe on a calm day by yourself? You can't. Somebody's got to haul you in, and how they do that is a very delicate situation, right? That's right. So it's, they got in the boat. I just, don't, don't miss that little thing. They, and then in verse 33, what happened? Those in the boat, that's, why, why, why didn't Matthew say it that way? Not disciples. He said, but those in the boat worshipped him. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time that Jesus is called son of God by his disciples. And this, we've been building, right? If you go back to Matthew 8, where Jesus calms the wind, calms the weather, has control over the weather, and they go, man, what kind of dude is this? He, the wind and the waves obey his voice. Now Jesus walks on it, does the Peter thing, gets back in the boat without any help, and they go, you are who said you are. You are the son of God. They've still got a long way to go. They don't understand fully the implications of what this means, but their faith has grown. So we've had faith, we've had faith falter, and we've had faith grow in the same story, right? And as a result, they worshipped. This is the first time the disciples have said to worship Jesus. You have the Magi do it in chapter 2 when he's a toddler. And you've got a leper in Matthew 8. You've got a synagogue ruler in Matthew 9. But the guys who have been following him around and giving their lives to him haven't done it until now. Okay? The disciples worship, and it's directly tied to their faith and their confession, which is what worship is, by the way, which is why we do it the way that we do it in this room. 
The whole point of Jesus revealing himself to the disciples is for this moment. Which is really important for you to understand. Which is why it's bold, italicized, and underlined in my manuscript. The reason Jesus wants your faith is because he wants his glory. The reason Jesus wants you to believe in him is so that you will glorify in him. The more faith you have, the more glory he gets. He wants you to know him and agree with him and act on who he is and what he has done because he wants your worship. Piper's right about a lot of things. He's not right about everything. I'm really cocky today, aren't I? But he's right about this. The most satisfying thing to you is that which gives Jesus the most glory. Going back to the last miracle and this one together. Okay? That is why Jesus reveals himself to the disciples so that they'll have faith and they will worship him and nothing is more beautiful and wonderful for them than to worship the one who's actually worthy of it. He said the same thing in Sunday school this morning. This was... This, this sacrifice of all these bulls and all these rams, and there was joy for a week, giving up everything they had. Why? Because they knew the one who was worthy of it, and nothing was more satisfying to them than that which was most glorifying to God. And that's what's happened on this boat. So what? Two things. I want to invite you to true faith in Christ today. True faith. Okay. I mean truth, agreement, and action. Okay. I mean, I want to invite you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that in His life and in His death and His resurrection and His act to save you from your sin. And I want you to commit yourself to Him. That's true faith. Facts, agreement with them, life according to. That's true faith. Okay. It, to use Peter's story here, it means stepping out in faith. Okay, I want to invite you to that, to become a Christian today, and that's what it means. And if you're already a Christian, then I want to invite you to a life of increased faith. Faith grows, right? The, y'all know this, you know this, okay? Jesus is going to ask you to do things, or he's going to grant things that you request that only he can do through you. And doing those things is faith. That's faith. And faith is meant to give Jesus glory. Not you. Not me. Him. So the things that we should ask for and the things that He will ask of us are going to require certain things, require us to understand certain things about Him, to agree with Him and act on Him. And that's going to be more and more and it's a challenge to grow in that And when we do, we can only stand back and go, man, thanks be to God. There's no way I could have done that. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with him. That's growing faith that gives him glory and you satisfaction. So come to Christ and grow in your faith. Like Peter, like the disciples, and worship Jesus and give him glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, we know from the 
Gospels that to have this faith we can't believe what we don't come to understand to be true we can't bank our life on something and not have have the the truth of those things and agreement with those truths and so we ask that you would open our eyes some of us for the first time to see you for who you really are just with the, like the disciples and believe on it and act on it and worship you and for for those of us where that's happened initially may we grow may our lives be defined by an ever growing ever expanding faith and may that result in great glory to you and we ask it in Jesus name amen